Welcome to the Directors UK podcast. In this episode, we welcome BAFTA-nominated director and Directors UK member, Will Sharp, who spoke to us about his television series, Landscapers. Will is joined in conversation by BAFTA-winning director and fellow Directors UK member, Armando Iannucci. Will and Armando discuss placing the audience in the frame, finding characters in the rehearsal process, and how costume and production design help build an intricate world. The Directors UK podcast celebrates the craft of directing. If you've been enjoying these episodes, please rate, review and subscribe. And don't forget to share with your friends. Now back to Will and Armando. Please enjoy. Yes, I'm Armando Ducci. I'm a balding, if not bald, late middle-aged Scottish Italian with a large nose and a checked shirt um, using my agent's offices. So I'm in a rather corporate background and um, uh, there's, a, there's a pig right behind me, on my left shoulder. Um, and I'm delighted to welcome Will Sharp to talk about uh, the craft of directing, among other things. I'm sure we'll touch on all sorts of things tonight. Hello, Will. Hello. Hi, thank you for having me. I am a half Japanese man with black hair wearing a grey jumper in a sort of off-green room. Um, thank you for having me. Well, let's start. I mean, I I think I first knew of you or heard of you uh, when you did Black Pond, which was a film, I'm sure you think it was only about four years ago, but it must have been at least 10 years ago. Yeah, I think really shot on a very, very low budget. Yeah, I think it was 2011 that it came out uh, and we shot it for 20 grand, my friend Tom Kingsley and I. Um, and I think we worked out that it was the it cost the same for the whole film as one second of Transformers or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> um, but much, more yeah. ent- much more entertaining than one second. <laughs> Did you get your money back? <laughs> We did, yeah, just about, yeah. Um, we hired out the Prince Charles Cinema for a week, and I think that was because we had heard somewhere, read somewhere, that if a film plays on the same screen consecutively for over five days or something, uh, then there's a kind of uh, tacit obligation to review it, or well, that was the right. understanding at the time. And so we were trying to get it reviewed, and thankfully it, it in the main worked out, and so we were able to... Well, we can... Uh, conversation we can double back on that but it, it, cool. it instantly um i fixed you in my mind as someone who writes and performs and directs their own material um and the thing about landscapers is i think it's your first certainly tv production which you're directing someone else's script Mm-hmm. Is that right? And, and so I'm just intrigued as to what the, process, what the thought processes were when you when the script arrived. Or obviously, there's a connection with some of the cast you've worked with before, Olivia mm-hmm. Colman, obviously in Flowers. Um, what you know? What made that switch? Well, I mean, I just was coming out of um, the electrical life of Louis Wayne, which similarly was not originated by me, yeah. um, but I did, you know, um, end up working on. The script for that and similarly with uh with ed i collaborated quite closely with him on these scripts but when i first read them i think i was immediately 
taken with sort of how empathetically written they were, how he was really trying to understand the world, I guess, from the point of view of Susan Edwards and Christopher Edwards as, as you know, he imagined them to be. Um, and I think like with all projects that you end up working on, it was just something that I couldn't stop thinking about. I found myself waking up in the middle of the night with an idea about how to direct a scene. And, you know, there was some really, I guess, uh, exciting and interesting formal ideas, questions, challenges in there, but also enough room I felt for discovery and development. And as soon as I started talking with Ed and the production team, it felt like we were fundamentally on the same page. So I guess that made me feel confident that there would be a freedom to explore, um, yeah. you know. Um, and I think the first conversation we had was about this idea of truth. Uh, and how, you know, even from the very start, certain truths were presented in slightly different ways or for, from different uh, points of view. And that felt like uh, something very fertile uh, to dig into, I guess. You kind of set yourself a challenge because right at the start, we know what the outcome is. You know, we hear that they were convicted and sentenced. Uh, um, you know, it's a true story as well. Um, so, you know, you're setting yourself that, that kind of ambition of like presenting the fact, but then spending four um, episodes trying to explore whether that fact is is the actual truth. And, and actually, you know, just to skip to right to the end, there's still yeah. a level of ambiguity at the end. Is that deliberate? Is that is that part of the the kind of the initial uh, idea that appealed to you, or was that something that you teased out as you were making? That, that was something that came about in the edit, actually. Um, and I felt like I wanted it to be really clear from the outset that it's not the thrill of this. Like, there is, you sort of get some crime procedural for free, if you like, but yes. that really we're telling a, this is a kind of romantic psychodrama. And I felt like, in a funny way, I suppose, like, the bluntest way of saying it is that people could Google this anyway. So yeah. why not take control of that, you know, control of the truth, if you like, and control of the facts and mm -hmm. use them to our advantage to make you feel unsettled as an audience member about these various precarious truths and how they're presented to you. And how does it, I'd still, I guess I wanted to put the audience in the frame um, so that they could participate, I guess, in this process of playing out different truths um, in different ways. Um, and yeah, I, I hopefully it makes the ending sort of clearer in a way and more interesting. Well, yes, there is also, um, I mean, there's, there's so many, what appealed to me about it is there are so many um, uh, ambitious uh, mixes going on there because there's there's a fact, yes, we, we're given the truth, the, we're given the bold facts at the beginning, so we know what the conclusion is, but, but how we get there is left up in the air. But there's also that mix of deliberate artifice. The, the, you know, one minute we're in a police station, next minute we're in the pub that they're talking about, or the bedroom that they're talking about, giving the <laughs> giving David Hewlett yeah. gun to shoot at, <laughs> at her parents and, and so on. Um, and yet um, try and preserve the reality of the emotion, I suppose. Yes. So I, I, I think there is an inherent sort of tension, I guess, between truth and fantasy in the show. Yes. And I think a lot of it stemmed from us trying to understand 
you know, where did this part in part, where did this fascination with um, old Hollywood, you know, Western films and, you know, they were famously kind of collected, spent hundreds of thousands of pounds collecting old Hollywood memorabilia that they couldn't afford. And part of that, I guess, was clearly a sort of form of escapism. But it also felt like it fed into this kind of role playing relationship that Chris and Susan had with each other. And more and more, I started to feel like it was like another big theme for this show was maybe freedom and that Susan's very traumatic backstory um, might perhaps mean that, you know, if you've been through something like she went through as a child, perhaps you have felt like freedom has been taken away with from you, you know, long before you've been arrested for anything. And so I think all of those different ingredients seemed to create a space in which Susan and Chris are telling themselves truths that um, they need to believe in or want to believe in. They're telling each other truths. They're also presenting very rehearsed truths to the police. Um, sometimes they're remembering romanticized versions of, you know, true memories um and so i think always every decision that we made as a crew um and cast was sort of trying to get the audience into the headspace of particularly susan but you know also the shared kind of headspace of susan and chris and so if it felt like well they might remember this in a sort of french cinema way and that might get you into you know an empathetic feeling with them and sort of understanding how much their relationship means to them, then then that flies. Similarly, you know, something which came about, I guess, initially from trying to evolve some of the early ideas and to extrapolate uh, from them to sort of uh, more dangerous pastures. You know, in episode three, when we pull literally walk from the interview room to the dramatized version of uh, the story of Susan, and it's being dismantled by the police. That again, I think if it had just been for the hell of it, I don't think it would have been something that we wanted to entertain. But because it felt like, well, in this moment, Susan is realizing that the very carefully crafted truth that she presented in episode two is being completely exposed, completely torn apart by Lansing and the police. And, you know, and it's also, and she's so exposed actually that now the audience at home watching seems to be sort of in on it and able to make a judgment on her it felt like it would hopefully sort of help the drama and the emotion of it I suppose um and I guess the other thing to say which is perhaps obvious but I think with every project I feel like the performance always comes first and every yes, yes. you know every um everything else is uh, subsidiary and supplementary and in support of that and so I feel like the text and performance is where I always start and where I always finish in the edit. Um, and so hopefully that grounds it as well. And no, absolutely. I mean, brilliant. you're right. You know, you can put in these devices or, you know, for want of a better word, tricks, but they're not tricks. They're actually a, an inherent part of the, the way you're laying your stories and theme, themes out. That moment that you, you mentioned in, in episode three where we're basically in a television or film soundstage, aren't we, walking from the scene of the crime to the to the next bits of the film. It did, going through my mind when I saw that for the first time was actually when when I, I was in the process of adapting David Copperfield, the personal history of David Copperfield, and 
for me, it was about this is this is a story about a storyteller in that he in the end of the yeah. spoiler, um, he he becomes <laughs> he becomes a renowned novelist, and so what he's done is actually uh, slightly reshaping his own yeah. slightly disordered, chaotic life to give it some sense of meaning, yeah. and 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 I I and that's what made both Simon Blackwell and I who co-wrote it with think of these ideas of of a theatricality about it, of the of the of the kind of the scene becoming a, a canvas and the canvas lifting up yeah. and then suddenly you're in the middle of a field or you're yeah. you know, or, or, or the house is made of paper as a and it's a little boy yeah. model. So but all the time I'm thinking, you know, is this just a trick or is this yeah. is, does this mean something? So it's about and in fact we discarded in our edit, we discarded some of those things because we I thought actually no, this is just showing off. So it's, it's such a fine line, isn't it? Trying to get the, uh, and sometimes the artifice actually makes the, the real emotion all the more powerful because it's it's sort of shouting out against it. <coughs> yes, I think that's a good um, comparison, and I definitely felt that watching, Dave, you know, like when the hand reaches in, you know, he is also being torn out of a moment. So it, <laughs> that's why it works, and I think the similar way of thinking. I suppose yes um it is a fine line but I felt like the sort of default of like you know as when you're working on a script like is yeah are you are you sharing in the moment with these characters was important I guess and this might be of interest one thing that um I was really keen to do was to shoot if there were for example like we had a couple of this was partly a practical cost thing yeah. we could only afford to have um project the walls as walls of the set for a certain number of days but also again from a performance point of view I really wanted to shoot the as it were straight version of the interviews first yeah. to make sure that we had the um, performances down and had found the emotion or the drama of the scenes or the comedy of the scenes like um, in that way and then if there was something that we wanted to do as a transition or or, to, or for a section of the scene uh, with the whatever it was, we shot that sometimes quite a bit later in the schedule, yeah. um, as sort of pick, almost as pickups. So, sort of, had you edited some of those scenes already before going into? Um, no, I mean there were assemblies, but yes. um, yeah, not not with a view. I mean, with assemblies, I tend to. We, I tend to sort of take note in the assemblies when maybe I'm worried about something or, yeah. or if, you know, there's something I feel like, oh, I just want to make sure that, you know, we got that. Um, yeah. But otherwise I try and try to wait, you know, till, till the fine cut. Yes. I, these stories I've, I grew up reading of like when directors would end the day shooting, going back to watch, watch the rushes that evening. Yeah. Strike me as an absolute nightmare because <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, I'm just absolutely shattered. Yeah, <laughs> there's something about spending a day making decisions all the time that kind of slightly yeah. uh, wears you out. So the idea of then sitting down and watching, making more decisions. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so so you you're you. But are you um, are, are, are you kind of doing a rough cut in your head as you go along? Are you? Do you have some sense of the shape of it? Yes, definitely. And in terms of performances and coverage, you know, you might have, you know, shot listed for 
kind of a slightly bold, boldly low number of shots uh, in the hope that you can, you know, use the developing mm -hmm. to tell the story. But sometimes, you know, sometimes that's great. And, you know, there's the way of thinking that if you don't shoot co additional coverage, then the decision is made and it's easier yes. to fight for your plan A. But also equally, sometimes I felt like, you know, actually it's probably wise just to shoot some, you know, shoot some coverage while we're here just in case in the edit. And often we would use that, you know, just to, whether it's to speed a scene up or whatever it's yeah. a point of emphasis. Um, but particularly in this show, I think because of the trying to sort of, I really wanted the show to feel psychological and like it was slightly, as I say, like the truths are, mm. there are blurred lines between the different truths and it's a, it's a precarious world. Um, and with the you know, occasional transitions and things, it felt like I needed to be more on top of it. Um, yeah. And I, well, that point, I, because I certainly felt by the end of it that um, I wouldn't say it was like an optimistic ending, but I kind of felt that whatever they did and whether or not they were guilty or whatever the reasoning, seeing the way they, um, the, the narratives they carried in their heads about each other and about the past, whatever, may well have been the best thing for them as they then go to prison because it gives them those kind of um, safety mechanisms that they might need to survive in a place like that. You know, it yeah. didn't feel to me like they were totally horrified about what was going to happen next because they had this, this sort of set of slightly rehearsed kind of um yeah approaches to 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 real life that they carried with them yes well it, it, i've always felt like there was a sort of pat we were i guess reaching for a sort of paradox at the end mm. where we didn't want to present you with a kind of bleak and uncomfortable bleak and i guess you could say bleak and uncomplicated truth about mm. murder and crime which is that it is you know almost invariably very sad yes. and you know that is part of the takeaway i think uh, but we also wanted you i guess along the way to explore all the different complex relationships that web of you know events that led to the moment of crime and to formulate your opinion about like a truth that hopefully feels like it's somewhere between all the different truths that we're presenting you it's kind of this elusive truth yeah. and i think you know the idea of uh, playing out Susan's inner world, I guess, as a Western came quite late on uh, for the final episode. And I think it was because we wanted, you know, wanted to be able to get to a point where there is a feeling of almost being uplifted at the end. But what's hopefully harrowing slash hollow about that is that you feel like it's a mask on top of the reality of the crime or that there's something disturbing about if we can make you feel, if we can give you your moment of freedom, you know, riding off into the sunset, and if we can, through photography and music and, you know, the performances, like, give you a, a sort of a joyous, a sort of a feeling that feel a feeling of freedom at the end, but you know that something terrible has happened, and I think that's why, on the day, you know, we used quite a bit of uh, rear projection, whether it be for driving scenes or for the end of the horse ride. So David and Olivia are on this um, sort of robotic horse that kind of does this. And uh, and I remember on the day thinking, let's get one where the backdrop just disappears and we and it just cuts to black and they don't see it. 
and and it was kind of very speculative it was just something where it's like well, let's get it just in case yeah um but in the edit there was something and constantly in the making of this show there are ethical dilemmas here there and everywhere about how and that's part of where the idea you know for instance of including real news footage in the credits or you know things like that or just us being honest with you about how I guess we as storytellers have no agency over the truth either came but something about when we put that moment into the edit it felt I felt my sort of uh I just felt very frightened by it because I was so I felt like I was uh, successfully swept up in their moment and yeah. then when the backdrop disappeared I just felt it's almost like being shot or something. I just felt yeah. really terrified. And um, so I guess that's what we're reaching for at the end is hopefully along the way, we've helped you to invest in their love for each other, which in a way is the only truth we sort of confidently. Yeah. It's a really touching element all the way through the, the, the whole four episodes. Really, that in fact, as you say, that's, that's the kind of the most certain thing, really, yeah. <laughs> that they love for each other. And therefore, yeah. you know, I, I thought at the end they will be thinking about each other in prison and will be yeah. sort of somehow, hopefully, communicating mentally or whatever. Um, yeah. But you said that was something you worked out. So, so let's swing right back to the beginning of the process then. You know, okay. how what, what is the process prior to actually shooting? You know, are you working closely with the writer? With how early are you getting the actors in? How, how you know, how is how are you working out the the stages of this story then in terms of how you want to end up? And what I you think, want yeah, principally talking talking with Ed, um, collaborating with Ed, the writer, uh, and the production, and you know, doing some writing myself, offering things up, um, and with wrecking I guess at the same time as you normally would and you're discovering things like that you, you know if you're going to shoot in St Pancras you've got about nine you know nine hours of a night shoot to do it in and the rules are very strict especially because of Covid and so you know that becomes a scene where it's more meticulously sort of thought out in the script yes. and um, trying to think about well this we can achieve this we can't achieve um, being practical about it hopefully to creative ends um and and then the casting process is happening and we did rehearse this and i think for me rehearsal is great just partly to meet everybody properly and get a sense of everybody's different language or how they how they work what what works for them what doesn't um, but also in the case of this there was some mo you know some scenes where people are switching from being in the moment you know there's a scene in episode two where Susan Olivia's character is you know in the moment with her mother mm -hmm. and then sort of narrating the scene to the police and then in the moment and sort of just getting a sense of how that feels getting a sense of how does a kind of romanticized version of Chris and Susan sort of behave as opposed to the kind of you know how does the sort of front lit Hollywood long lens you know classic um Chris and Susan, like, what's their posture? What's their way of talking compared to the sort of down and dirty CCTV? Yeah. Um, you know, captured Susan and Chris in the interview rooms. And so a bit of that in rehearsal, but not too, not too much rehearsal. Well, what is your answer? As you said, rehearsal. I'm a big fan of it. I mean, I, I kind of rehearse everything um, because, as you say, first of all, it's a chance for everyone to get to know each other. Yeah. So 
I kind of find if you're going into a shoot where everything's out of order, you've got to yeah. at least once have everyone do the whole thing in the right order so they know. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But I also find that it's a good, I mean, we just hire a church home for two weeks and yeah, some cheap biscuits and some flasks of tea and coffee and, and, and yeah. there's no one else around. And, you know, all those conversations you uh, that the, otherwise you'd end up having Yes, on the set. On the set. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, 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 150 people are standing around waiting to kind of... <laughs> <laughs> it's far better and more economic to have it. But but I, I remember when I started directing, being kind of amazed that rehearsals weren't, weren't the norm, really. So what's your rehearsal process? Um, I think my rehearsal process is to... I didn't rehearse every single scene on no. this. Um, but sort of, and partly I think that was again just a practice, you know, still in COVID, people's availabilities and things. And I think probably going forward, I will try to lock off more time, sort of, ins sort of insist on the va on the value of rehearsals, as you say. Um, but this was about a week, I think, for us of That's key good. scenes, key or sort of um, scenes which felt like they might open, you know, open a question, trying out. Uh, key relationships so you know David and Olivia together but also the police together and the, yes. you know, the interview scenes and um, getting a sense of everybody's different dynamics it's also a chance like as you say for people to air any questions they might have or worries and it's yeah. great to it's great to sort of uh, get get open early so that there's no yeah. you know there's no detention or worry on set about asking you know asking me anything like yeah it's that sort of um there's a lot of fruit clearing and kind of awkwardness the first couple of days. And it's far better to have that really early on rather than on day one of the shoot, isn't there? You know, you know, what should my head so. be? And, and also, if yeah. you know, these characters are meant to have known and loved each other for decades. You know, the, the, the police team have all been on top of each other for, you know, for, so, so you want to be able to capture that instantly. I remember... Yeah when we were rehearsing um, The Death of Stalin, we had, you know, we had a window of opportunity where we could have like Steve Buscemi and Michael Palin and, yeah. <laughs> and Paul Whitehouse in the same, same room at the same time. I remember Steve Buscemi afterwards and, and Simon Russell Beale and Steve Buscemi afterwards saying how he loved the rehearsal process because it gave him a chance not just to work out where he was in each scene, but to know where everyone else was emotionally yeah. in each yeah. scene. You know, and yeah. I, I kind of always remembered that as a kind of useful thing. So, so I'm, I, yeah, I'm a huge fan of rehearsals, and also it gets you to work work out some physical, physical business. Yeah. And, you know, take aware of you know, do a bit of the blocking so that you're yeah. not spending the day or the and first half of the day. It can, you know, it can help you with the script as well. I think, yeah. you know, and particularly at the moment where read-throughs are often on Zoom, and I mean, read-throughs are funny anyway. Um, but it can help you, you know, and help you just identify if, oh, actually, this scene is too long or yeah. in the wrong place or, you know. And did you have Ed with you all the time, all the way through as, as, a, as a writer or what was your sort of? Um, I mean, he came to set occasionally, but he would, he did sort of leave me to it in a way. And I think, I mean, again, I don't know if that's partly like a COVID, like, so we right. had these grip headsets um that Ronan our grip brought so the key crew members on set so Eric Wilson the DP 
Sam McGaffer, myself, a grip, we all had these sort of headsets with a talk talking thing here. Mm-hmm. And so everything was done very quietly, sort of fed back so that, you know, I wasn't constantly running in and out, hiding on the tables to try and minimize traffic on the set, basically. So yeah. what it meant was that for sort of guests, uh, if you like, it was actually very hard to keep track of what was going on because we were all just sort of whispering to each other, you know, sort of like, yeah, I think we should go again, but maybe just, yeah. uh, you know, slow the track down. And, and then we'd go again. And so nobody really knew what was happening. Um, I think somebody said it was almost like sort of a bit like being in a monastery or something. So quiet. <laughs> <laughs> how, how did the, what were the cast hearing then? Were you able to, how, how you and then, the, and then with the cast, I'd obviously go in, you know, yeah. Sort of something. Yeah. Um, with the cast. Um, yeah, it was a it was a strange. I don't know if in some way, you know, this theme of freedom. Mm. I I mean, I found myself thinking about in terms of like, you know, the way our own freedoms were being necessarily limited during that period. I don't know if in yeah. some way that fed into the yearning, the sense of longing for some opening. And I think, you know, we wanted to shoot on sets partly because it was safer, but also because we wanted to present to you a world in which these truths felt very flimsy and precarious yeah. and and just you know have big expanses of black sometimes where it felt like well there are huge deep you know swathes of detail missing from this story so I don't know how I feel about this um and and partly also I think because we felt like it would give us the whole show a feeling of confinement and claustrophobia yeah. and wanting Susan again in particular to feel how she has been trapped by yeah her own actions and mistakes, but also by circumstance and the things that she suffered at the hands of her father. And she's somebody who I really wanted the audience subconsciously, I guess, to, to be wanting to break free. So that then at the end of episode four, when she, when they finally sort of achieved that, albeit in a, in a slightly ambiguous, you know, um, way, they've been on some level reaching for that. And I don't know if in a, you know, having masks and visors and, and being slightly, at arms length from each other in some way fed into that i don't know it definitely did for me as when i reflected back on the experience of shooting yes it was an odd an odd thing well everyone watching could probably testify to what an odd experience it was uh especially <laughs> trying to do something funny um you know, to be yeah with masks on and and distance yeah. and zoom read, read table reads and so on yeah it's a testament to, uh, to the show because i Funnily enough, when you started mentioning COVID, I, I, I suddenly realised it hadn't dawned on me as I was watching it when it had been shot. Or it, it didn't feel like something shot under COVID restrictions. Um, so like, I also to mention to people watching that we'll be taking your questions quite soon. So if anyone's got a question, just type it down. and um, I'll, I've got a little screen down here that I can see the questions coming up. Um, so going into the shoot then, are you, I mean, are you a, are you a massive prepper? Are you? Do you fuss over? Do you worry over? You know, are you are you working everything out, or are you a kind of let's just wing it and see what happens? Or what's your sort of uh, what's your anxiety level? My anxiety level is high. Although people often say to me, "How are you so calm?" You see, and I'm always never calm when no. people say that. To me. I, I, um, like me, I just internalize all my anxiety. Yeah. People think I'm absolutely yeah unflappable, yeah. whereas inside I'm screaming. Yeah, and I think probably the more concerned I get, the quieter I get. If anything, yes. Um, 
Yeah. But I think I am. I think it's that's the sort of delicate balance always, where keeping the freedom and the sort of hunger and the sort of instinctive side of the process. So I always want to leave a window open to discovery and to you know. Uh, but I also shot list, make sure everything is at least you know preliminarily shot listed, whether by me or together with Eric Wilson. Right. So we and and then you find the you know find the more ambitious sequences. You find the sequences which need more prep, and you know whether it's a health and safety discussion or a piece of equipment, whatever it is. Are you storyboarding at all, or, or working with on any on any scenes? Storyboarding, I think either. You know, often the storyboarding for me is where it's the easiest way to communicate to a lot of people, you know, everyone in the crew, what exactly we're imagining. We had a, you know, Rachel Garlick, a very um, brilliant storyboard artist on this. So we storyboarded things like the end of episode one, which was again, like we had this slightly sort of, uh, uh, what's it, like supermarket sweep uh, time on the clock, uh, shoe yeah. at St Pancras. Yeah. And then we also, we weren't allowed to shoot on a Eurostar train and for various reasons in the end the most practical and economical way of shooting became bringing a carriage into uh, the drum sheds which was our sort of makeshift studio so we were also stitching together stuff from St Pancras and stuff that we were shooting with rear projection out the windows um, in the studio with David and Olivia and then there were various and then you know also kind of a police convoy that was shot just on a dis, sort of disused air um, runway, a, a military airfield, um, because we sort of decided, well, we didn't want to go through the hullabaloo of shooting on the motorway. And also we quite liked the idea that this convoy, again, could just be surreally in this sort of big black void. Yes, um, yes. And so sequences like that we storyboarded and again all on zoom so lots of kind of using the frame to sort of describe sort of the cars will be down here and i'm the clock or whatever you know yeah um or and and, yeah and i think or it's things like if so the the last shots of the series which a lot of which was um doubles for chris and susan riding on a horse yeah um that was delegated to a sort of second unit and so for something like that very important sequence but for various reasons, you know, it's it's delegated to a different team. Felt important to storyboard it to make sure they knew exactly what we were imagining. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I guess key sequences, sequences where people need to, it needs to be something that reads very complicated, needs to be made simple for a large number of people. But I don't storyboard every every scene. Are you visual at all? I mean, are you? Can you do? Do you, can you draw? Can you? I mean, I'm 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 hopeless, so I I'm very reliant on other people for um, visually what it is I'm after. And I find it very hard to explain until I've kind of seen something like it. So yeah, uh, I envy people who can, you know. I'm not a good uh, draftsman. I could, I, if I, it looks like, looks like I'm going through something uh, quite traumatic. All my drawings are quite sort of messy and uh, <laughs> hard to make out. Um, so yeah, I definitely need a storyboard artist. Yeah, because you had so many different styles in this. You had, um, uh, you know, the reality, as it were. Then there's the flashbacks. There's the doing them uh, in the kind of when they first meet, which is always a bit of a challenge, getting actors to suddenly look whatever it is, twenty years younger. Yeah, well, I again, I decided, I decided quite early on that I didn't 
want to I wanted David and Olivia to play these parts all the way through absolutely apart from the 10 year olds yeah and I didn't want to do extensive CG and I didn't really want to do prosthetic I I sort of saw it almost like a kind of like Christmas Carol or something where I felt like it would actively help the show and it would be a clearer mm-hmm. statement of intent to have them their own age almost in a theatrical way you know, inhabiting their younger selves in a in a in a memory or in a, in a version of a memory. Um, so that was something I don't know. Which just felt like it was why hide it? Like you know, yeah. the actors playing anyway. So, but you don't um, want to go down the Irishman way of CGI. No, and the younger no, probably we couldn't have afforded it even if we didn't yeah. go down there. So. <laughs> Well, so you know your memories are of of how you look like that. You can't. I can't remember how how exactly I looked twenty years ago. Uh, no, I'd be shocked to see how different I am. <laughs> if I, yeah, if I did. So, um, and I think one of the things we talked about was this the thing of sort of uh, mistrusting your own memories, or how you know you might have a very vivid memory of something taking place in a certain place in your certain uh, location with specific people and you've been telling that story for years and years and then someone else might pick you up on it and say actually no that didn't that didn't happen there and you hadn't even met those people at that point and and you're so convinced of it and I think part hopefully it adds to that yeah like I say psychological feeling yeah and the other no go on and the no I was going to say like the other thing was um at one point we were wondering about maybe playing the whole thing in black and white yeah. different kinds of black and white um to lean into susan's love of classical cinema and for various reasons that was that was a no-go but that led to this thing of uh christina casali the designer i remember you know because we've been talking about a bit about one car why and you know um, fabulous by the way she was my designer on oh yeah she's brilliant yeah. and david Copperfield, yeah and she, on the way to a production meeting, she showed me a photograph of these very lurid red and green hands. Um, and there was something about it that felt very violent. Um, and and I, and so in the end, I think we started to use, you know, red and green as colours that were emblematic of the crime or of their guilt and sort of haunted the show with these colours and haunted the memories, you know, the very purer, romantic innocent black and white of their memories are sort of um slashed through with these uh very lurid violent colors and and i think uh christina had the idea of the the um rhododendrons on top of the where their bodies were buried would be red and green and so you'd feel how those colors are kind of seeped out into the and then eric would say well when we're in nottingham square i'll light the building up red so that as soon as you know the show starts there's a slightly unsettling feel, like feeling of murder, hopefully, on some yeah. level. Um, but yeah, it's I, it's I, I'm a big believer in being really cross pollinatory, and I always feel like a hippie when I say this. But I I sort of really believe that the spirit in which something is made, or how together the cast and the crew are in the making of something, can be felt on the screen. And I'm sure there are many very successful um, films, series that were miserably made by people all behaving terribly. But I don't think you can make something that has heart in that way. I feel like in order to give a sense of honesty and sacrifice and, um, 
and the, of the love that went into making something, you really have to manifest that and be a team, I think. Um, and so I think that's always, so fun. I, I, I have a kind of uh, no arsehole policy uh, yeah. when crewing up and casting in the, yeah. you know, yeah. a, a certain actor, maybe the most brilliant actor of his or her generation. But yeah. if it's going to suck the life out of the kind of the ensemble feel by yeah. having to kind of address their yeah. demands, then there's no point, especially, you know, in my field anyway, in, in doing comedy, you want there to be an atmosphere of fun around yeah. on set. Yeah, yeah. Um, for, for especially doing comedy. Um, so I think that's important. And, and, and yeah, I remember, Christina, when we were doing every couple of... Me, me talking to Christina about it'd be nice to get some kind of something that's not CGI when you do slightly unusual things or transition. Yeah. And her showing me Victorian illusions yeah. as ghost, which is the kind of the mirror that, that made ghosts come on stage and it's just a mirror yeah. projection, projections and, yeah. and so on. And, and so I, we didn't have that idea as we were writing. We just had a vague notion of something that's right. not CGI. Uh, yeah. and, and, and that's what we, and it felt so right because of course Dickens was into theatre. He was an amateur dramatist yeah. and he loved illusion. And he loved doing magic. So it felt absolutely fitting to put in these kind of physical illusions. Yeah. But I also wanted the audience, especially people growing up on, Marvel CGI fests, sure. and, yeah. and therefore just kind of just used to it, so it's no longer exciting, really. Yeah, to actually see some real tricks done in a, in, yeah. in a way. So, but that, yeah. as I say, that's what I felt when I saw them. You get your kind of cast to walk off the set and wander around the stage and go into the next set and so on. But it's uh, yeah, it's an interesting it's definitely conjuring kind of trick a sort of frightening thing to talk through on the sort of tech record. You're explaining yeah. what we're going to need to plan and and sort of, and well, won't we be in shot? Don't worry about that. You know, that's okay. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, and it was quite a sort of frightening thing to shoot in a way. I felt very, um, but sometimes those are, you know, those are, it's worth being, it's, I guess it's only really, it's probably evidence that you're trying something interesting if you feel a bit frightened about doing well, it. Well, there's things like that. There's no going back, you know, it's all, yeah. you can't then go into the edit and slightly cut around it so that it, no. it doesn't. <laughs> but there is something kind of thrilling about doing it, you know, committing yourself to it in advance and, 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 yeah. and going for it really. Um, yeah. Knowing that the, you wouldn't really know until you watch it back whether it's you know yeah thing or not but I and think... i think sorry yeah no no go on yeah no i was just going to say like okay again i guess sort in that episode for instance there are also very long held close-ups of you know david dulis and olivia coleman and i think for me it's it's funny because those are that that's that's sort of where all of my energy is going into it feels like is um those human moments you know with yeah. the actors where you together which anchor everything and then there are these other sort of organizational feats if you like which again as you say require a, a sort of feeling of fun but also a feeling of kind of like belief from everyone but yeah. that always feels like it's happening secondarily to like the heart of it which is um which is people saying 
things well, you know, <laughs> and, and behaving. That's the know, art of directing, getting yeah. to say things well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in more or less the right order that it makes some kind yeah. of sense. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Everything else. <laughs> but that said, I mean, you did, you were, you know, you were taking on different styles. You were doing, you know, 1930s, 1940s cinema. You were doing flashbacks, memories, uh, yeah. childhood flashbacks as well. Um, were you, were you, were you changing the equipment? I mean, were you shooting everything on the same, same cameras or were you? Um, shot most of it on a Sony Venice on sort of these old, sort of slightly creaky but interesting anamorphic lenses in the main uh, and actually Eric made this choice to side mount all his lenses so we were shooting with a camera on its side which gave us just a slightly different kind of effect uh, from the lenses and was helpful for some of the things we're doing later so he also that, what does that do then putting on its side what's the I, it I guess it means that the bend is slightly different um that you get from the lenses and it, it was something to do with the uh amount of the um the thing i can't remember what it's called in the camera sorry i'm not very technical that oh, that we get from our lens um <laughs> uh and he also sort of reconstructed the two strip grade uh digitally for the world west scenes in episode four um but i mean we also had like a video camera like a literal video camera that we carried with us and that was you know i knew that i would want to shoot i wanted to expose um we were going to use it in some parts of episode four i think and also wanted to just capture some of the building of the sets the dismantling of the sets yeah. uh, to mix and in the edit i think is where we made the decision to mix that with real footage to try and sort of real news footage real archive footage yeah. to try and further blur the lines between and there's even sort of some written and recorded news voices and some re real uh, news reporters and that was something that we just carried with us sometimes a couple of guys that the line producer knew who had their own you know video cameras that would come to shoot and other times Eric would shoot it or I would shoot something or one of the camera team if they if we saw something interesting would um would shoot it just in case so we had loads of uh video material and in the end originally that was all going to be in the final episode um but we made the decision in the edit um you know with ellen to feature it in the credits to sort of yeah. put you into that zone quicker we'll get into post in a second um but while we're on the show it's questions. called a sensor it's called a sensor okay <laughs> i'm like you i don't have <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People could be shouting numbers at me, making them up. Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. And I think that is, I mean, I think it's true of a lot of people who start off writing, maybe especially in comedy, because comedy is to do with time and stuff. So if you're writing comedy, you're kind of acting it out in your head anyway. So you have a rough idea of how it should look or, or what you should be seeing. But whether you can describe that or not, to the people you're working with is, is, is down to you. But it's interesting that comedy writers tend to then go on to direct uh, whether their own stuff or, or, or other stuff. Um, but yes, no, we have some questions on, first of all, the look in that, the, although it's set in not that long ago, about eight or 10 years ago, the ward yeah. and production designer, 
has a slightly, well, he's written here, or she's written here, either a timeless or a 1970s vibe. Was there any conscious thinking behind this, how you were going to, just the look of it, really, that people were wearing? Some of it, I think some of it is maybe just the period of, of the house, like either, I guess, in flashbacks, sort of in 80s yeah. flashbacks, or maybe, I definitely remember talking about how sometimes a house stays, if you stays the same for a long time if you move yes. in um but i guess in terms of like the costume stylings and things like that you know charlotte walter the costume designer decided we we're trying to think of how do we sort of chop up these same for the score you know chop up these old western old hollywood influences and kind of sprinkle them in through the show um so that they're sort of subconsciously there or uncannily there and so charlotte and we didn't want it to feel too procedural you know we wanted there to be a procedural element but we didn't want it to feel like a sort of straight up tv crime drama so she made the decision not to have any uh, fluorescent jackets or belts or anything which immediately changed the way um the police felt yeah um when they're out and about the cars are also branded differently and they have a slightly sheriffy emblem that has been sort of somewhere between hopefully finds the line between believably what you might have and the reality of what the not so the police kind of the boy didn't look anything that's too generic to yes who's the yeah. done in that kind of area before yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to say if, 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 if I think you certainly have got a spin-off in terms of the uh the police unit there. <laughs> yeah the landscapers universe if you're you know yeah if yeah because because they were they were a great kind of they were a great team I thought. I loved, yeah, I loved working with all three of them. It was brilliant. Um, and yeah, so, you know, sometimes Charlotte might give DC Lansing like a tie, a sort of lace tie as a nod to the Western, but in a way that sat with the clothes that she was otherwise wearing. Um, or, you know, Wilkie might be wearing some boots that you, in the wider shots you see. But again, it's kind of uh, hopefully mostly subliminal, you know. And were you also... Um... Did you just have, were you just normally one camera on the go, or did you have multi cameras? Given you were in a, studio, um, a lot of a studio feel to a def- default was one camera. Mm-hmm. Some of the interview scenes, part of the day would be two cameras, mm-hmm. and then if there was a move or something which made it difficult to use two at the same time or to light two at the same time, it could just be one. But I guess that again, that's something that we would do in prep is go through. Mm-hmm. identify our two camera days or even three camera days identify the days where you need a tracking vehicle whatever it might be um early on um but no we defaulted to a single camera and were you tight for time how much did, how long did you have for each episode to shoot uh, i can't remember now off the top what of was my head. One, kind of cross-boarding it was one block yeah there. yeah um it was i mean I think they had budgeted or allowed for a bit more time because of COVID because yeah. uh, we didn't know how much that would slow the process down. Um, and as with every schedule I've worked on, you know, there were days where we had plenty of time uh, and other days which were very adrenalized and you really needed to yeah. be decisive and move on quickly and make quick decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, uh, it was, it wasn't, the, it was, uh, it wasn't the sort of faster shed, you know, the flowers schedule was was faster, you know, because the budget was lower and it's different. 
commissioned in a different way, I guess. Um, but it wasn't infinite time either. And going into then post, are you? Uh, did you? Did you make any big changes that you hadn't foreseen as you were shooting? You know, in the edit, was there something that instantly leapt out as, "Oh, that goes there," or "This episode's now this episode." You know, some, sometimes these things suddenly hit you, that you and you. The thing you end up with is very different from how you yeah. are into it. Well, probably having the legends at the front of episode one was, I, and I think partly for me, that was about the changing meaning of the word innocence. So yeah. at the beginning, it says to this day, they protest their innocence. And hopefully that means you, sus- you wonder if that means that they didn't commit the crime. Yeah. And so you're waiting to find out how they've been wrongly accused, perhaps. Yeah. And in the end, I think it almost becomes a word that means they they with you know they are deserving of empathy as human beings that's maybe what they mean is can you at least try to understand us um you know in our story uh even if even if we did commit the crime um so that was one big thing the other was maybe that you know the the first ad shouting rain and action and seeing the rain come down that was not something that was something that we knew we wanted to shoot but initially there was a slightly different opening which started with um a sort of bugle player on the roof kind of announcing the show and then we would see the crew and then it would take us in um and it was just take i i think it just took a little bit too long and the shot wasn't executed perfectly because it was that that was another one of our very adrenalized um shoots it's a night shoot in nottingham square the middle of nottingham town square um and so, but in the edit, I started to just find it initially quite funny, I think, that someone shouts rain and then it starts raining. And then it realised that actually that was a very clear way of showing you the difference between sort of off and on. Um, yeah. And it yeah. felt like a sort of fun, playful, um, but also kind of just helpful way of, you know, showing you our cards fairly early on. It gets around the problem because I always found rain very, very difficult to pull off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah. 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 Um, so I've seen it rain, but I know the rain. You know, if I look further down the road, I can see no drops. Like I can see the yeah. rain yeah, yeah. the camera, but nowhere else. Um so um, calling attention to that from the start is a useful way of getting around that yeah. issue. <laughs> and maybe actually also the credits, you know, including archive footage in, yes. uh, in the credits from early on. Which we, which we knew, well, I mean, like one of the first things I asked when I came onto this was, are we able to interview the real Susan and Chris? And for various reasons, including the pandemic, that's not possible. Yeah. That wasn't possible. Um, but I guess it always felt like we should take this idea of these different truths to its logical limit. Um, if that's the exercise that, you know, we're, we're, going, we're sort of sharing in. With you. Has there been any reaction from them to the um i don't actually know if they've seen it i know that they had seen a trailer at one point because one of the people who advised on the show was uh susan's solicitor the person who the character of douglas was yeah. based on called daryl yeah. um so he sent us a message saying i think chris had seen the trailer um on a laptop or something um and and seemed you know uh vaguely approving of it <laughs> it's an idea what well, their notes are but, yeah um, that's now i think it was the scene between susan and her solicitor in the either in the cell or in the 
in the holding cell at the police station. I mean, that is one of the most emotionally charged scenes in yeah in the entire and one of the most amazing scenes I've seen Olivia Coleman do. It was really quite um, uh, emotional and and impactful. I felt, and I think that's the point where I realised the balance that you were doing there between the you know their artificial construct to try and right some meaning on what was going on around them, but at the same time this raw um, yeah anger and frustration that's boiling around there. I think that was day two of filming or something oh, yes. very early. Yeah, really early. And I remember talking to Olivia about that fact and she seemed, you know, up for it and was like, let's, you know, bring it on. We might as well yeah. start somewhere. Um, and yeah, as ever, just very impressive and you, quite quick to get there. Do you find you worry more about the actors than than they do sometimes sometimes i get terribly worried if i've scheduled something that i think oh god that's a very that's two very long scenes for them back to back how can we get around it? and then you speak to them and they go no that's fine <laughs> maybe maybe sometimes i guess it depends on the actor but i yeah. definitely believe in sort of emotional scheduling yeah. or sort of i mean i guess like the the ultimate is when you can shoot everything in story order yeah um but thinking about well when they shoot this scene it would be great if they had also shot this scene already so they know what to yes. carry into it and and yes. oh well this is a very important group dynamic scene so i think let's make it as late as we can so that people have found each other you know and and just to add i guess like an extra square to the impossible rubik's cube that the first eight years already trying to start. no but sometimes it's important i mean i very rarely say no when i see the schedule but every now and then I think it's more if I know there's a big scene, but actually I know that when we're shooting it, we'll come up with some new stuff. So mm -hmm. I don't want this other big scene to be scheduled prior to it. This yeah. in the story happen after it, because there'll be things that come up in that scene that are new that we know we'll want to then mention in in the scene that comes after it. So let's not, let's switch. I know, yeah. I know we're there for one day and we can't come back, but can we do it the other way around? I know we've got to yeah. do child by noon and whatever yeah and, but, yeah. but can we just <laughs> occasionally you know we it, it, yeah not all the time but often that's and it, it's often it's the right thing to do as well if you if you feel that there's that an uncertainty there that's going to emerge definitely that make reminds me actually of the trial for episode four episode four was shot probably in the least number i think shot in 11 days or something um overall maybe 12 and part of the reason was we were trying to find time for other things. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the trial was a high page count, you know, many different scenes. But I felt like there were certain shots which I knew would work for, throughout the trial. And so we, we tried to devise a way of filming that, you know, there was Chris's day and Susan's day. Uh, but as much as possible, kind of light and shoot the whole trial for a certain angle. Yeah. spend a day doing these three angles and then turn around and do so rather than going through the whole script you know and the micro adjusting everything yeah which meant we could shoot you know what however many pages it was in in the four days that we had there's something about you having this gut feeling that you know for example the trial is that's not going to be the be all and end all of the episode so let's not make it you know overwhelm the schedule and once you're committed to that i think it yes kind of forces the issue it means that actually 
what's going to make the Ash episode is the stuff that's going on around the trial, leading up to it and just after it and, and the periphery. Yeah. You know, once you make that kind of commitment rather than it's very I think it's very easy sometimes to just play safe and think we've got to cover everything from every angle because you never know. Yeah. If you make yeah. decisions early on, it's, it can be quite liberating. This podcast was recorded at a Directors UK member event. You can hear more episodes of the Directors UK podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or your favourite podcatcher. Directors UK is a professional association for film and TV directors with over 7,500 members. Find out more about us at directors.uk.com.